morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew 28? Matthew 28. We'll be looking at verse 18 alone today, but I want to read verses 16 to 20 before we pray together. It's on page 835 if you're using the Pew Bible. Matthew 28, I'll start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, your word is is gracious. Your word is light to our souls. Your word is food for the hungry. I ask that you would come now by your spirit and you would do a good work in our hearts through learning about the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask it in the name of Jesus, who is now reigning and interceding on our behalf. Amen. Well, as Gary mentioned a minute ago, the elders have named September to be our Global Missions Emphasis Month. You know, after evaluating last year's calendar and, and seeing that, that uh, it was a little overwhelming to put global missions emphasis on top of care group leader appreciation month on top of hold the rope fellowship the international day of prayer for the persecuted church our thanksgiving celebration and the beginning of advent all in november (laughs) why don't we just throw easter in there with it uh so we moved it back a bit this year to september uh whatever month it falls in having a time set aside to look more closely and and more intentionally at global missions is something we want to continue at Redeemer Church. Not simply because it's part of our vision statement to declare God's glory to our neighbors and the nations. And not simply because it's part of our DNA as Christians to live as God's missionaries in a world in need of Christ, but primarily and chiefly because missions is the very heartbeat of God echoed throughout the Bible. We could think of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3, for example. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that, and Paul says... He's talking about Christ and all the nations being blessed in Christ. All the way back there in Genesis 12. 
We could think of God's ultimate purpose behind the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and delivering Israel out of the land of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm. Exodus 9.16 says that this was God's purpose. For this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's missions. God's name being proclaimed in all the earth. And then it's not too much further in our Bibles that we read in Joshua chapter 2 that the name of the Lord, in fact, did go forth all the way to Jericho and saved a prostitute named Rahab. And then the prophets again and again promise God bringing His sons from afar and His daughters from the ends of the earth of many nations joining themselves to the Lord, of people who have never been told of Christ hearing for the first time, of those who are sitting in darkness seeing the light for the first time. Then the Psalms also break forth in song like this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Praise the Lord, all nations, and extol Him, all you peoples, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted and His majesty is high above the earth. And then we land in the New Testament in a text like Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Missions is the very heartbeat of God echoed throughout the Bible. And therefore, we want to build healthy, regular avenues into our gatherings for equipping you to love what God loves. Namely, His glory and His grace revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and heralded throughout all of the earth among all the nations. But here's where we usually encounter a real weakness in our Baptist circles. We are very prone to pumping ourselves up about the task of missions without ever understanding what's behind the task of missions. Or worse, without ever knowing the one who stands behind the task of missions. How many rally cries have you heard about the Great Commission that have left you under, understanding what you're supposed to be doing? Preach the gospel, go to the nations, give my money, lay down my life. But quite apart from answering the question of why you're even doing it to begin with. My goal, my goal today is to answer the why of the Great Commission before ever even taking you into the what. We'll get there next week. Another way we might say it is that the therefore... Read, your, read, read it again with verse 18. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore... The therefore in verse 19 exists only because the authority of the crucified and risen Christ exists in verse 18. 
So I want to spend the next half hour helping you understand the authority of the crucified and risen Christ. We'll discuss the nature of our task and missions next week, but today I want to focus on the authority behind the Great Commission and then tease it out a bit for our lives at the end. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're about to hear why Christians will share the gospel with you, the good news about Jesus Christ, in order to convert you, in order to get you to surrender your allegiance to Him. We really believe that Jesus is alive with all authority in heaven and on earth, and that every person must submit to His rule or perish. Otherwise, if Jesus doesn't have all authority, what right do we have to tell anybody to submit to his rule? What right do we have in telling anybody that they should surrender their lives and live to him and live in accordance with what he says to do? The reason we want you to believe the Christian message of salvation is that Jesus does really have all authority in heaven and earth. And he must be dealt with on his terms. So I want you, I would invite you, even if you're not a Christian, to join us this morning in considering the words of Jesus here in this text. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And to help us better understand what that means, I want to look at Jesus' authority in three parts. First, notice that Jesus' authority is a given authority. Jesus' authority is a given authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that is a remarkable statement considering that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Even from the outset of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is the one conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. And He was to be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And then the rest of Matthew's gospel is only confirmation after confirmation after confirmation stacked upon each other, teasing that out. So that whether we see Jesus teaching with all authority or healing the sick or casting out demons or forgiving the sins of men or walking on the water, or being transfigured on the mountain, or making some outlandish claim to be the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power in heaven, we can't help but get to the end of Matthew's Gospel and say, truly, this Jesus is God with us. He is God. So if the whole point of Matthew's Gospel is to testify that Jesus is God, who has come in the flesh to save us from our sins... We cannot say that Jesus receives authority in a way that would make him less than God prior to his resurrection. We cannot say that. After all, he came to earth as the eternal Son of God. And as the eternal Son of God, his authority 
had no beginning. Even though his father gives that authority to him, the son's authority has been so from all eternity. There was never a point the son had a beginning upon which the father started to give him authority. God the Son has always existed with God the Father. And so even while he may receive authority in his role as submissive son, his authority had no beginning and it had no stopping point when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. It had no stopping point when he became a man. We even see his authority confirmed again and again when he tells a paralyzed man to get up and walk, or when he opens the eyes of the blind, or when he raises a little girl from the dead, or when he rebukes the wind, the winds and the sea, and they become calm, when he feeds the 5,000 with a kid's snack pack, when he tells people, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is over here saying, your sins are forgiven. So if Jesus had such divine authority prior to becoming a man, can there be another sense in which he can still receive authority from his father after the resurrection that differs from the authority he had before the resurrection? The Bible tells us there is, but not in a sense that makes him less than God before the resurrection. Otherwise, we'd be still in our sins. Jesus must be God when he dies for us, if we are to be saved. So the Bible tells us there is, but not in the sense that makes him less than God before the resurrection. Here's what's going on. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the eternal Son of God had never reigned from heaven as a human being. I'll say it again. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the eternal Son of God had never reigned from heaven as a man. The Son, who was sent from the Father, had demonstrated His authority from earth as a man. And some of the examples we just... Gave, but never had the Son demonstrated His authority from heaven as a man. That heavenly authority as a man awaited another work that He had to achieve first as a man, namely His humbling Himself unto death, even to death on a cross, in order to pay for our sins. This is the work God the Father gave his son, to complete out of the love that he had for a bunch of of hopeless rebels like ourselves. The Son of God was to humble himself, enter history, conquer Satan, satisfy all of God's justice, take away our sins, and deliver us from death through the bloody sacrifice of his own body on the cross. And the point of verse 18 in Matthew 28 is to say the Father approved of every bit of His Son's work. 
He approved every bit of his son's work and by virtue of his victory over Satan and sin and death, he now installs him as heaven's true and rightful king and he goes there to reign as the God-man. As the God-man. Never had the son demonstrated his authority from heaven as a man, but now he would. In light of the the resurrection. It's in this sense that God has given him all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven. Jesus' authority would be exercised no longer from what the church has traditionally called a state of humiliation, but he would now demonstrate his authority from his state of exaltation. We see things like in the passage you read earlier, we read earlier together from Philippians 2. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2, 6 to 10. Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And this is the conclusion he draws. Therefore, because of all that he did, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So he's not more God after his resurrection. He's just ruling now as the God-man, as the messianic king, the king of Israel. And he's doing so from heaven. Hebrews 1, 3 to 4 tells us that it was only after making purification for sins that he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Only after. Which which just amazes us about the authority of Jesus Christ. Before he uses his authority to judge, he uses his authority to lay down his life for hopeless rebels like us. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Prior to making purification for sins, the father had work for his son to do on earth. It was only after he completed the father's work for our salvation that the father installed him in heaven to rule as a man. Just just think for a minute. This would be the first time that all of the countless heavenly hosts see a man walk into heaven with a resurrected body in order to tell them what to do. The first time that all of heaven would witness a man sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. It would be the first time that all the heavenly hosts would not receive their instructions from an invisible divine son, but from a visible divine son who will forever keep his resurrected physical body. It would be the first time that it could be said of any man to have all authority in heaven 
and on earth. So it's in that sense that Jesus' authority is a given authority. And it's, an inst- and it's an installation of him as God's true and rightful king, his human king above all of the earth who is also God. He never had authority in heaven and on earth as a man because he had never reigned from heaven's throne as a man. And now he would. Since he endured the cross, his father rewarded him with the crown. And even now he rules as the risen God-man over us. If you want a few more uh, texts to look up when you get home in order to flesh this out more for yourself, uh, read Psalm 2. You can write these down. Psalm 2, Psalm 89, 27. Psalm 110, verse 1. And then look how the New Testament writers are interpreting those passages. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts 2, verse 36. Romans 1, 4. Where Paul says he declared... Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a good one, uh, verses 25 to 26. And then Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 15. Really the whole book, but there's a, a whole book of Hebrews, but there you go. So the point there being that Jesus' authority is a given authority. Number two, Jesus' authority includes the supreme right and the infinite power to achieve all his purposes. Jesus' authority includes the supreme right and the infinite power to achieve his purposes. So this is a kind of authority that God gives to his son. We're looking now at what it means for Jesus to protest to, to possess, Jesus isn't protesting anything here, uh, what Jesus is to possess what the text calls all authority. All authority. Not just authority, not just some authority, but all authority. In Matthew's gospel, for Jesus to have authority means that he has the right and the power to do as he pleases. I want to show you two places where I get that. Matthew 8, turn with me there. Matthew chapter 8. Just two examples within his earthly ministry. Verses 5 to 9. I'll start in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. On page 813 of the Pew Bible. It says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And then Jesus commends the faith of the centurion and goes on to heal the son. But what's the point? What are we seeing here about Jesus' authority? 
The point is that the man, what makes his faith so commendable, is that the man believes Jesus has the right to speak a healing word and the power to guarantee it happens. He's the right to say it, and he has the power to ensure the results. The man is confident that what Jesus says will be done. This man knows what authority means. Because he served in the military. Now turn with me to, to Matthew 9. I'll start in verse 2. It might be on the same page there for you. Matthew 9, verse 2. It says, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? And here it is. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and went home. Again, in this miracle, we see two things coming together to help us understand what it means to have authority. Jesus has the right to speak only what God can speak. That's why the Pharisees are saying he's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. He's alone has the right to do this. So he has the right to speak as only God speaks, and he has the power to do what only God can do, namely forgive the sins and tell the man to get up. So authority is, see, Jesus' authority is his right and his power to do as he pleases. And then Matthew 28 says that he has all authority. Not just some right, not just a little bit of power, but the supreme right and the infinite power. He has the supreme right and the infinite power to achieve every one of his desired goals for heaven and earth. That means nobody can call the will of Jesus Christ into question and nobody can thwart Jesus Christ's purposes. There could, be, there could never be a coup. We're reading the news a lot. Syria, Egypt, Nigeria. There could never be a coup great enough to overthrow the lordship of Jesus Christ. No rebel forces can stop his cause. No political party can overturn his leadership. ...or jeopardize his governance of all history. Even the opposition is ultimately under his authoritative will... ...to put the world to rights. All of his purposes for heaven and on earth... ...will be accomplished without fail. That's why if you've ever read, read the book of Revelation... ...that's why it's Jesus... ...you know, the lion-like lamb... 
who has overcome through his cross and resurrection. That's why it's Jesus that goes up and takes the scroll. And why it's Jesus that's breaking the scroll one right after the other. And it's Jesus in those texts telling them, telling every heavenly authority what they can and cannot do. In order to bring his father's will to completion. There is no higher position for Jesus to attain and no greater power for Jesus to gain. He has all of it, all authority, and that means the supreme right and the infinite power to change the world into what it is supposed to be. Lastly, Jesus' authority... We're going to get to application. Jesus' authority encompasses the entire universe. Jesus' authority encompasses the entire universe. So now we're looking not merely at the fact that he has all authority, but that he exercises all authority in heaven and on earth. That means he has authority over all heavenly creatures, like the angels and the 24 Elders and the four living creatures before the throne of God and the seraphim that Isaiah saw flying above the throne of God. Daniel 7 says that a thousand thousands of heavenly hosts serve the Lord and ten thousands times ten thousand stands before him. And these creatures are no joke. Not the little short, fat, cherub-like little babies that you see on the paintings. I was reading 2 Kings last week. In chapter 19, verse 35, says that the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 soldiers among the Assyrians in one night. You talk about a heavenly creature with some power. And he commands, this angel of the Lord commands... Armies of angelic hosts. Armies of these amazing creatures. Get this. One man tells them what to do. One man with flesh and blood tells them what to do. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says that when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, he put him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Hebrews 1.4 says that Jesus has become as much superior to angels, not because he was less than angels, but because for a while he put himself in subjection underneath them, Hebrews 2 tells us. He's now superior because as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus also has authority over all the cosmic powers of darkness like the devil and all his demons. Jonathan preached to us a couple of weeks ago from Colossians 2.15 that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Hebrews 2 says that through death Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil 
and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He entered, the Son of God entered and went through death in order to rise victorious over death and over Satan and over all evil rulers and authorities. This is why the Christian can take such confidence in spiritual warfare. Jesus is mightier than all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And why Paul tells us, stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not in the strength of your own might. Moreover, Jesus has all authority on earth. That means He has authority over everything. Earthly blessings and natural calamities. All these examples come just from the Gospel of Matthew, by the way. He has, he has authority over earthly blessings like the rain falling and all natural calamities. He controls the winds and the seas, the rains and the droughts, and the days and the years and the seasons. He has authority over all health, all riches, all times of peace. He also has authority over all poverty, fears, sickness, disease, pains, epilepsy, leprosy, hunger, blindness, speech impediments, and even death itself, most poignantly realized when he raised his own body from the dead. Even all earthly peoples and political nations and corrupt kings and governments are ultimately under Jesus' authority so that not a single decision is made apart from his perfect knowledge and his sovereign permission. Isaiah says that the nations are like a drop in the bucket before the Lord of hosts. That is some authority. If you took all, if you took all the earthly king's power and right and authority on earth. If you took all these earthly kings and you put them all together, Jesus' authority would make them look like Elmo. That, that's how powerful and mighty and authoritative Jesus Christ is. Jesus has the right of ownership of all nations, since he not only created them and sustained them by his word of power, but because he also secured a people for himself from every nation by his own blood. And the Lord prom- and his Father promises to give him that inheritance when he brings his kingdom in its fullness. Jesus owns all lands buildings and neighborhoods and will one day prove his ownership of them when he splits the skies to establish his kingdom forever on the earth. And get this, Jesus also has the authority to forgive sinners who are still on the earth. He has the authority to forgive sins and he has the authority to free people from their bondage to sin as they cast themselves at his feet for his mercy. The power, even the power of sin is no match for the person of Jesus Christ when he chooses to save them. He has the authority, not sin. I could go on, but the point is clear that nothing escapes Jesus' authority. 
His authority encompasses the universe and everything in it, including you and me, which is why we need to ask another question. What does Jesus' authority mean for us? Now, since we're doing a a few weeks on Global Missions Emphasis Month, I've tailored them for that purpose. But what does his authority mean for us as, as a church and as individuals? How could we not begin by simply acknowledging that Jesus' absolute authority means he is worthy of all of our adoration and all of our worship? He is the only man in the universe worthy of all praise and honor because he is the only man who is also God and who reigns as the God-man over everything. My allegiance can belong to no other institution or organization or human being, including myself, but my allegiance must belong wholly to Jesus Christ. All of me is His. I take my cues from Him and bow to His voice when He speaks. In terms of the Great Commission, Jesus' authority means that our labors in missions and evangelism, and church planning, and the giving of our money, and everything else tied into the Great Commission, it means that first and foremost, our labors stem from a heart of worship for the risen Christ. In fact, that's precisely what verse 17 says that some of his disciples did. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And even if others doubted, which it says some did, doubted whether they should prostrate themselves before a man, they're saying, Is this, should I do this or not? Yes. That's why Jesus comes in and says, yeah, it's, I'm worthy of worship because all authority in heaven and earth is mine. So even if others doubted whether they should prostrate themselves before a man, Jesus clarifies for them that he is certainly worthy of their praise. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we should never view our task in the Great Commission as mere work. It is that. It is work. It is hard work. But we should view it as our spiritual act of worship to the one who is crowned with all glory and might. Another way Jesus' authority plays out for us is that he has authority to forgive the sins of anybody who accepts the gospel we preach. He has authority to forgive the sins of anybody who accepts the gospel we preach. With humility and tears and great boldness, we say to all peoples without distinction that your sins have separated you from God. But God sent His Son into the world out of His love to reconcile you to Himself. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life for you. He died to take away your sins. He was victorious over Satan. And He rose again triumphantly over death on your behalf. Now he's seated in heaven and he commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe him and to submit to his lordship. 
And every person that opens their mouth and calls upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says, will be saved. Will be saved. Jesus Christ in heaven will declare them forgiven. The same way that he did the paralytic we read read about earlier. He will declare them forgiven when they acknowledge his lordship. If you acknowledge his name before men, if you cast yourself at his feet this morning for mercy, Jesus will acknowledge your name before his Father in heaven. That's true for every individual in this room who is a rebel, and that's all of us. Jesus, if we cast himself at his feet for mercy, will say, forgiven over us. And it will be true for anybody else in the world who embraces the message of salvation that we bring to them. Jesus has the authority to forgive rebels who submit to his kingship. He has the authority to change the world and he has the authority to change the human heart. Something else. Jesus' authority means that the Great Commission does not stand or fall on our own faithfulness. The Great Commission does not stand or fall on our own faithfulness. The Great Commission will not be completed apart from our faithfulness. He's chosen to use us to announce His salvation to the nations. But the task does not ultimately rest upon us, but upon Him. You ever share the gospel? You ever not share the gospel with, with somebody, or you share it terribly? You're just unclear, and you walk away just discouraged, and shoulders hanging, and just I blew it. Like the whole Great Commission is out the window because I failed here. And this text is saying, no, Jesus still has authority in heaven and on earth. Submit yourself to Him again. Try again. Preach again. He will forgive you. And he will spur you on in the faith. He will fill you with your spirit. Cry out to him for boldness. The great commission does not ultimately rest on your shoulders, but upon his. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the one who will build his church. Jesus will be the one adding to our number day by day. Just read the book of Acts. Some of you are in the Acts class. Notice how many times the Lord is the one who's adding to their number. Jesus will make up for our faithless efforts and our poor motives and our half-hearted attempts in spreading the gospel. And if we are truly His, Jesus will spur us on with His Spirit and the Word of truth. Our purposes often fail. Our plans fall through. Our hands grow weak. But that's never the case with Jesus. He is always strong and His purposes always come through. He works His purposes from a heavenly reign and with an unstoppable authority. And that should give us great hope in the business of the Great Commission. It will not fail. Even our faithless deeds and false motives are taken into account as he accomplishes his purposes. I've had times when several months have gone by after I've just really flubbed it up with an unbelieving friend. Several months go by, and the Lord actually gives me an opportunity with that friend to tell him about my flubbing it up. 
to tell him how I lacked love for him, how I didn't share the gospel for him, and the Lord has used it tremendously to say, I've never heard anything like this come out of a Christian's mouth. They need, the Lord used it to show my unbelieving friend that the truth of the gospel should make us humble. And he was more open to receive it. So even he used my mistakes previous, later, to bring a second consideration of this good news I was preaching to him. Even our faithless deeds are taken into account as Jesus accomplishes his purpose. The success of our mission is ultimately the Lord's work. He uses us in the mission, but he carries the weight of the mission. Another thing, Jesus' authority also means that we have no reason to fear in bringing the gospel into the lives of others we don't know or into cultures we are uncomfortably less familiar with. We have no reason to fear in bringing the gospel into the lives of others. I remember learning how to do some some door-to-door evangelism in a largely Hispanic neighborhood with our late friend George Haas. Some of you remember him. And George was teaching me, of course, because all I had at the time was enough courage to, to kind of knock on the door and then slowly, as, as they're taking a, a time getting to the door, slip behind George so that they talk to him first. You know, it's all like, yeah, he's got the message, you, I'll just knock. So George was teaching me, and I remember that one time a lady answered the door, and George introduced us as ambassadors for the king of kings. And I was like stepping back out, like, yeah, that's who we are. (laughs) Ambassadors for the king of kings. I'll never forget that moment. The Lord used the absolute authority of Jesus to strengthen my faith in the fight against the fear of man, what might they think of me? He used it in my fight against the fear of death. What might they do to me if I say this to him? He used it in the fight against my fear of circumstances. Well, what's going to happen next? The Lord used the absolute authority of Jesus to strengthen my fight against my fears. The Lord reminded me that day in a very pointed way that George was right. I am an ambassador of the King of Kings if I confess that Jesus is my Lord. If Jesus is for me, in every one of those circumstances, if Jesus, the one with all authority, is for me, who can be against me? I should not fear him. Matthew says, who can, cast, who, who can only kill the body, but him who after killing can cast both soul and body into hell. And besides, people can only do to me what he gives them permission to do anyway. Not a hair of your head will perish apart from my Father's will. And I can trust that it will be for my good the advance of the gospel, and the glory of God. So in that deliverance from fear, I am really freed then to just love. To just love people and serve people without fear. 
even if that love will mean death. One more point of application to consider. If Jesus has this kind of authority, then how much more ought we to cry out to him to bring the enemy's strongholds in this city and in every city and neighborhood we enter to preach the gospel? Because we breathe the air of anti-supernaturalism. We often think that the work of the Great Commission is just merely an intellectual thing. I enter, I preach, they either understand or not, and I move on. Never once considering the moral opposition of the human heart to Jesus or the cosmic warfare blinding the minds of the unbelieving. As 2 Corinthians 3 tells us, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Yes, we should certainly shod our feet with the gospel of peace as we penetrate the darkness. But we should also pray by Jesus' authority in heaven and on earth that the Holy Spirit would make spiritually dead people alive and spiritually blind people to see. Because Jesus reigns in heaven even over all spiritual darkness, He is our ultimate confidence that anybody will turn from darkness to light and from the domain of Satan to that of God. So pray that Jesus will come with power and exalt his name in every place that you live, work, and play. There's so much more to say about Jesus' authority and how it plays out in the Christian life and our mission to the world. It's no wonder that one of Paul's prayers for the Ephesian church is that they might have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they might know what is the hope of God's calling, what is the glorious wealth of his inheritance in the saints, and, get this, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. There's so much to consider that Paul made it a regular prayer that the churches would get it, would get the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. And we'll hear more of it in the weeks to come, but for now let me close us with a similar prayer. Father in heaven, you have given all authority to your son Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that escapes that authority. And we are glad that we can come to you through him with confidence. I pray that he would continue to do a good work in this people here as we look to his present reign in heaven. And I pray that all who do not know him, who are not now submitting to his reign, even those among us, would bow their knee and confess him as Lord of the universe, who has come, died for sins, and risen again to everlasting glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.